Good morning. You would turn your Bibles to Lamentations chapter 2. And while you're turning there, I want to share with you this morning 10 things uh, that make me feel uncomfortable. Okay, this is my top 10 list for you this morning. 10 top things that make me feel uncomfortable. Uh, first one is feeling unprepared for an important speech or presentation. Okay, I'm sorry? So every Sunday, yeah, yeah. That's terrible. I'll be making the jokes from here on out, Mr. Dittman. Uh. No, but I've had the nightmare before that I come here, stand up in front of you, open my Bible, and there's nothing in it. Okay, that's, that's one of my recurring nightmares. Uh, the next thing that makes me uncomfortable is running late for something important. Okay, it drives me crazy uh, whenever we're going to the airport or something like that, and my wife doesn't want to leave as early as I want to leave. My idea of going to the airport is you get there for about an hour and sit at your gate. My wife's idea of going to the airport is you run through the gate as, as they're trying to close the door behind you. Okay, I can't do it. It just makes me incredibly uncomfortable. Oh, by the way, she's not here this morning, so anything I say about her stays between us. Fair enough. Okay. Next thing that makes me uncomfortable is being underdressed. Okay, I'm not talking about being casual, but I've been places before where I walk in in jeans and a t-shirt and everyone else is in a coat and tie. Okay, it makes me incredibly uncomfortable. Another thing is waking up after a short night to face a long day. Makes you uncomfortable. Next thing is suddenly realizing you forgot something important. Um, No, I skipped one. Never mind. Okay, being in the middle of a conversation and suddenly realizing that you're dead wrong. There you go. Uh, Which... Fortunately, this doesn't hardly ever happen to me since I'm always right about everything, but I know for other people, you know, who are occasionally wrong about stuff, it's really uncomfortable being in the middle of especially an argument with your spouse and suddenly you realize, oh, she's right. Okay, that's, that's an uncomfortable place to be. Okay, the next one is suddenly realizing you forgot something important. Okay, again, another one of my recurring nightmares is that I'm at the very end of a class and I have a big paper due, and I just totally forgot about it for the entire semester, and now I'm going to fail my class. Okay, I don't know why that's one of my nightmares, because that never actually happened to me in school, but that's always been one of my nightmares, and it makes me uncomfortable. All right, another thing that makes me uncomfortable is losing your wallet or your phone or your keys, okay, or something very important. I'm not talking about just the momentary, oh, I can't find my phone, I know I left it here somewhere. I'm talking the, it's gone, okay, lost it. Makes me uncomfortable. Another thing that makes me uncomfortable is having to give bad news to someone. Okay, last year we've been interviewing youth minister candidates. I've had to call several of them up and have a conversation on the phone with them saying, you're not going to come work for us, I'm sorry. Okay, that just makes me uncomfortable. Okay, which is not quite as uncomfortable, I don't think, as when in the past I've been told by other people, oh, by the way, you didn't get a job you wanted. Okay, whenever I was actually interviewing to come here, I was also interviewing with another church. Okay, and they called me and said, by the way, you didn't get the job here. And then they proceeded to talk to me for like three very uncomfortable minutes. And I'm like, how can I get off the phone with you? Right? It's just uncomfortable. Uh, or, um, let's see. Again, my wife's not here, so I can share this with you. Another thing that makes me uncomfortable was the early conversations, especially I had with my mother-in-law. Okay? Made the list. If I'm thinking of what makes me uncomfortable, that's on the list. Just saying. All right, finally... Uh, the thing that makes me the most uncomfortable, the reason I'm giving you this list this morning, what makes me very uncomfortable is anything that feels disrespectful to God or Jesus. 
For instance, whenever I'm watching a television show or a movie, uh, and they're making jokes about Christians, sometimes that's pretty funny and I'm okay with that. Okay? But you start making jokes about God or Jesus, and I think you crossed a line that we just shouldn't cross. Anything that feels disrespectful to the Almighty makes me really uncomfortable. Okay, now what happens though when I read the book of Lamentations is it makes me uncomfortable. Okay, I think one of the reasons we don't read this book of the Bible more often is because it does make us uncomfortable. So much of this book is blaming God. It's shaking your fist at God. It's telling God that I think you should act this way instead of the way you're acting, Lord, and I want you to act more like I think you should act. When I read lament, it makes me feel uncomfortable. Okay, notice the Lamentations chapter 2, starting in verse 1. It says, How the Lord has covered daughter Zion with the cloud of his anger. He has hurled down the splendor of Israel from heaven to earth. He has not remembered his footstool in the day of his anger. Without pity, the Lord has swallowed up all the dwellings of Jacob. In his wrath, he has torn down the strongholds of daughter Judah. He has brought her kingdom and its princes down to the ground in dishonor. In fierce anger, he has cut off every horn of Israel. He has withdrawn his right hand at the approach of the enemy. He has burned in Jacob like a flaming fire that consumes everything around it. I contend if Lamentations chapter 2 doesn't make you feel uncomfortable as you're reading it, then you're not reading it right. I think chapter 2 is much or more than any passage in Scripture blames God for the problems we're facing. And it feels irreverent. It feels disrespectful. It just doesn't feel right. Right, But as we started talking about last week, I think lament just as a genre, as something that we do, is incredibly important. And yet we almost don't do it at all. We don't talk about it at all. We as a culture have neglected lament, and I think because we neglect the lament, we suffer in our relationship with God. I think we have a much more difficult time getting over our deep pains, and we carry around a lot of baggage with us we should have sat down a long time ago because we don't, as a people of God, know how to appropriately lament. Interestingly enough also, something we'll hit a little bit harder next week, Uh, But we also don't know how to really praise and thanksgiving right either because we've divorced it from lament. I contend if you don't know how to lament properly, you also don't know how to give praise and thanksgiving properly because they go together. We'll look at that next week. Okay, so why is lament so important? Again, we started this conversation last week. We're continuing it this week. Why is this such an important part of our lives? Why do we need this desperately in our relationship with God? Number one, if you're taking notes, is we need lament because it's honest. All right, I want you to imagine for a minute uh, that you're single and you're getting ready to go out on a first date with someone that you really like. Hey, can you imagine that for a minute? Imagine you're 17 again or whenever it was back before you got married when you were single okay, and you're getting ready to go out on a first date. You're incredibly excited. You're getting ready to go. What do you do? Okay, do you just roll out of bed, look at yourself in the mirror and say, eh, this is okay, and then walk out the door? 
Well, some of you probably would do that, right? No, what do you do? You put your best foot forward. Okay, you shower, you shave, you comb your hair. You spend some time going through your closet thinking, which clothes are going to make me look the best? Okay, and then when you actually go out on the date, you do your best to hide all of your imperfections. Right? You don't share everything on the first date. Right? And you expect the other person to get ready for the date too, right? You expect the girl that you're picking up to look nice and to do her best to get ready for the date with you. Okay, and on that date, you don't confess all your sins or highlight your shortcomings. Right? If in your first date you say, well, you know what, I struggle with anger issues and I got fired from my last three jobs, and you start going through all your bad stuff, you wouldn't do that. Okay, not if you want a second date. No, what you do on that first date is you present the best possible you in order to make the best first impression possible. Right now, imagine for a minute that you date this girl for a long time and you want to get married to this girl, okay, but she won't ever let you see where she lives. She won't ever let you see her without her makeup on. You ask her about her family You ask her about the friends that she has. And she says, oh yeah, I've got family, I've got friends, but you can't meet any of them. Okay, she has large portions of her past that she won't talk about. She has chunks in her schedule that she won't tell you what she's doing. Okay, all you ever see from her is her going on a date self. Okay, if you dated a girl for a long period of time and she wouldn't let you see behind her first date appearance, would you marry that girl? Okay, not if you're wise. Okay, even if your time together is magical and wonderful, if you have any wisdom at all, you would not marry that girl. Why? Okay, she's not necessarily telling you lies, but she's also not being completely honest with you. You know, Rachel and I dated for almost four years, and when we got married, there weren't a lot of surprises, right? You always uh, advise young people, you need to date at least through four seasons, Okay, so you can see how the person reacts in different situations. Okay, I've counseled several people before whenever they got married after dating for just a couple of weeks. Okay, and they typically have problems because for the first couple of weeks, what do you do? You present your best foot forward, right? What happens after you've been married six months? You start to see reality. Okay, and it's different. All right, my metaphor is very imperfect, uh, but here's my point with this. I think one of the most damaging things possible in a relationship is to pretend like everything is fine and to hide things when it really isn't. I think if you try to sustain your marriage by only presenting your first date self, your marriage will eventually run into problems. I think if you can't be open and honest with your spouse, your relationship will deteriorate. I think If you can't be open and honest with God, your relationship will deteriorate. If you can't be honest with God, you will not have a deep relationship with Him. I think one of the biggest criticisms that people have of church is that we are not real or genuine enough. Right, especially you talk to younger people today and you ask them, well, why don't you go to church? And they say, well, they're not real there. It's not genuine there. They're just putting on airs. They're just putting on a show. It's not real. Okay, if outside people look at us 
and all they see is that we say praise God and then deny that anything bad ever happens to us, then they don't want to have anything to do with church because it's all show and it isn't honest. Are we being honest with God? Uh, Whenever I was in school at Abilene, I was a, a GA for a teacher who regularly taught a course on the Psalms. And on a test, he always asked the question, what's the most significant thing that you've learned in this course about the Psalms? Which is pretty open, people can write whatever they want as an answer to that question. Usually he'd get something pretty simple as, oh, here's what I've learned studying Psalms this semester. Okay, once though, several years ago, he got this as an answer to that question. Since my mother died my freshman year, and even more so after my father's death this year, It has often been a struggle for me to maintain a healthy prayer life. I did not question God or the relationship I have with Him, but I wasn't honest. After the first week in this class, I began praying Psalm 13, which is one of the the classic lament psalms of Israel, and finding that if I was honest with God, sometimes angry with Him, then I could truly talk and pray to God more earnestly. This class has taught me how to hurt with God rather than without Him. Okay, that's it. That's what I'm going for with this entire sermon series on Lamentations. How do we be honest with God Almighty? Okay, because you're going to hurt. Right? Jesus hurt. The apostles hurt. Part of what it means to carry our cross and follow Jesus is there's storms of life that are going to come. It's going to be difficult. We are going to have painful experiences if we live for very long at all. What I want us to learn from lament, though, is how to hurt with God rather than without Him. You want to kill your relationship with God? Then say only the proper prayers. If you want to kill your relationship with God, then pray to God like we sometimes talk to each other in church when we're talking very very casually. How's everything going with you? Oh, it's fine. Okay, it may not be fine at all, right? But what do we do in our prayer life is we look at God and say, okay, I'm fine, Lord, and here's my stuff that I want you to do, and da-da-da-da-da. Okay, are we being honest with God? Are we willing to hurt with God? You know, the very first story of Scripture is the story of Adam and Eve. And after the original fall of man, right, they both eat from the tree they're not supposed to. And then the next time God shows up, what do they try to do? They try to hide. Okay, and we think, how ridiculous is that? Those stupid people, they're trying to hide from God. If anyone knows where, you don't play hide and seek with God, right? God knows where you are. Okay, but what do we do in our prayer life with God all the time? I try to hide. I try to hide my pain. I try to hide who I really am. If anyone knows the real you and what you're really feeling, it's God. How can we be more honest with God? I think lament is important. It's important for us to read and study and understand lament because it's real. All right, number two. Not only is lament important because it's real, but it's important because it validates our pain. It validates our pain. Notice, uh, starting in verse 8 of chapter 2. It says, The Lord determined to tear down the wall around daughter Zion. He stretched out a measuring line and did not withhold his anger or his hand from destroying. He made ramparts and walls lament. Together they wasted away. Her gates have sunk into the ground. Their bars he has broken and destroyed. 
Her king and her princes are exiled among the nations. The law is no more, and her prophets no longer find visions from the Lord. The elders of daughter Zion sit on the ground in silence. They have sprinkled dust on their heads and put on sackcloth. The young women of Jerusalem have bowed their heads to the ground. Right, years ago, I went to a musical with a bunch of friends of mine. Um, saw this show, and it was a really great show. I really enjoyed it, but there was one singer in the show who, when he got up and started singing, I thought, this guy is terrible. Okay, this guy can't carry a tune to save his life. And I look around me, and everyone's just smiling and going along with it, and I'm thinking, am I the only person here in this whole auditorium full of people who thinks that this guy cannot sing? Okay, well, at intermission, I pulled my buddy aside, and I'm like, hey, okay, you know that one guy, that one part? And he goes, oh, yeah, he's terrible. Like, okay, just checking, right? All right, you ever go through experiences in life where you think, am I the only one seeing it this way? Does everybody else think something differently? Am I the only one who sees it like this? All right, whenever I went to uh, orientation for the last degree I did, one of the requirements was that I sat down for an hour with a therapist uh, and talk about what's been going on in my life for the last couple of years. Okay, and so I sit down with this young woman. It's me and Rachel were there together and talking to this therapist. We talked about the struggles we were having at church, especially we talked about the struggles we were having uh, with Luke, right? That was the year we'd almost lost him a couple times. Um, and so we're talking about all the stuff we're going through with Luke, all the stuff we're going through with the church. Okay, and as we're going through all this, this therapist just cried, okay? Because it was just so intense and it was so much. And she looked at Rachel and I and she said, you guys have really been through a lot of pain. Now, for lack of a better word, uh, it was really therapeutic to tell my story to a stranger. Now, in talking to this therapist, did she give us any great advice? No. Did she speak some word of wisdom to put my pain in a new perspective? No. All she did was validate my pain And it really helped. Lamenting is a way of validating our pain. We need to slow down long enough in our lives to acknowledge that our pain is real, which we have to do if we're going to take it seriously, which we have to do if we're ever going to deal with it. If instead all we do is keep denying our pain, we'll never deal with it, and we'll carry it around with us years after we should have set it down. Okay, all of us need our suffering validated. Your pain is real. Only by acknowledging that it's real can we begin to find healing. Okay, so the challenge is in your prayer life, take time to lament. Take time to talk through your pain with God. Okay, and you don't do this because it's likely to give you a brand new perspective. You're probably not going to hear the heavens open and the voice of the Lord give you some sage advice saying, just do this and you'll feel better, right? That's not the reason for lament. What you will get through lament is a validation that your pain is real, and by not denying it, you can start to take it seriously. Fair enough? All right, number three, and finally... Another reason lament is important is because it invites a companion into our pain. I didn't talk about this much last week, uh, but in the book of Lamentations, there's primarily two voices that are speaking. 
Okay, in chapter 1, uh, you have the voice of the narrator, and you've also got the voice of daughter Zion. Right, the narrator speaks with male pronouns, and it's, it's the writer, whoever's writing the psalm. But then also there's daughter Zion who has a voice, and she speaks about her pain. Chapter 1, the first half is the narrator, and the second half of chapter 1 is daughter Zion speaking. Okay, suddenly, though, in chapter 2, the two voices start to talk to each other. The narrator joins daughter Jerusalem in her suffering for the first time and speaks to her directly. Okay, notice verse 13. He says, what can I say for you? With what can I compare you, daughter Jerusalem? To what can I liken you that I may comfort you, virgin daughter Zion? Your wound is as deep as the sea. Who can heal you? Right, And you keep reading in, the, in these in the surrounding verses. And you see that one of the big problems that, that virgin daughter Zion is facing is that all her usual sources of comfort have failed. Okay, the prophets were false and worthless. The priests couldn't connect the people to God. The elders aren't able to comfort her. All of her crying hasn't worked. Fighting against her enemies hasn't worked. None of her sources of comfort are working for her. And so the only thing that's left is to lament. And now this narrator has joined with her in her suffering. Okay, part of why lament is important is because when we're honest about our pain, when we finally admit that we truly are in pain, then and only then are we in a position to share our pain with others. Okay, we need companions when we're hurting. What makes pain worse is if we try to handle it by ourselves and endure our pain in isolation. Okay, we need to invite companions into our suffering. Now, a couple of words of advice on this. The first one is this is not exhibitionism, right? I mean, we've known people that liked it whenever everybody else would pat them on the back and say, oh, it's okay, and they wanted to share their pain with everybody. Okay, that's not healthy. Uh, This is not about getting attention, right? Some people, their identity is all just their pain and what's wrong in their life, and the only way they feel like they can get attention from other people is if they can cry louder and try to get attention. That's not what lament is. It's not about getting attention. Okay, this is not about having your entire existence defined by your pain. Okay, and wisdom says different pains need different joinings, and we need wisdom to know what's appropriate in what context. Okay, this is not about shouting your pain from the rooftops, but this is about finding people who can walk alongside you and those one or two people that are your closest friends that you really can share with. We need those people. You know, part of the problem, though, is that we often shy away from bringing up a tragic event or pain when talking to somebody. For instance, if you know that somebody's going through something very real in their lives, or if they've lost a loved one, or gone through something very intense in their lives, often when we talk to them, what our natural inclination to do is say, well, I don't want to bring that up, right? I don't want to ask them, how are you doing in your pain? Because I don't want to bring their pain up again. Okay, but here's the thing. If you're going through intense pain, Someone mentioning it isn't going to bring up a fresh wound. You're already feeling the wound. What will wound us, though, if we're in pain, is when other people seem to have forgotten about it. So here's the thing. If you know someone really is in deep pain in their lives, it's okay to ask them, how's that going for you? How are you feeling about that? That's entirely appropriate. You're not opening up a new wound. You're reminding the person that, hey, I haven't forgotten your suffering. I haven't forgotten you in your suffering. Don't be afraid to be a companion, and don't be afraid to seek one either. 
right? Lament is important. Now, this is part of our relationship with God. And again, everything that we should be about as the people of God is about us growing closer to God. What does it look like to come before God more frequently, to truly walk with the Lord in our day-to-day life? Okay, if we can't share our pain with God, then we haven't really gotten God as a companion for us. All right, at this time in our service, we're going to sing a few verses of an invitation song. And during the singing of this song, I will be down front. One of our shepherds will be down front. And during the song, this is a time where if we as a church can be here for you, if we can talk with you about something that you've heard this morning or talk with you about what it means to become a Christian or if we can pray with you about something that's going on in your life, uh, we want to do that during this song. And before we sing that song, I'd like to close us with a word of blessing. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you. May the Lord be gracious to you and give you peace.